to another installment of Sports Rat Radio Show. It's your boy D, and I am in the building. Here I am, live and direct. And I'm back, Facebook Live, the group page, Sports Rat Radio Show. Before I get into that article I mentioned before the, my break, I want to talk to you a little bit about Iowa football. Okay, Although we are still in a pandemic, we are also still, thanks for tuning back in, Coach Stan, we are also still enduring and witnessing systemic racism. Okay, There's an article out on ESPN, and it talks about Iowa football players, Iowa black football players. George Santos, what's going on, my friend? It, it, it talks about how there was one incident in the spring of 2009 where there was a player who was late for a meeting, and their strength and conditioning coach, so we're talking about an African-American player or a black player and a Caucasian strength and conditioning coach, just to clear the picture. Okay. At practice, after he was late at practice, the coach ordered Johnson to jog around the field with a large yellow trash can covering his head. Now, a lot of players that were on that team spoke about that. And one player went on to say on his Twitter account, and I quote, there are too many racial disparities in the Iowa football program. Black players have been treated unfairly far too long, end quote. Hence the reason that they are making a stand and talking about the issues and things that went on there. Uh, just another quick note before I get into that article. The NFL in lines of Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the racial inequalities that are going on right now are going to stencil end racism on the end zone borders as part of social justice rollout for kickoff week. Now it says kickoff week, so we don't know if they're going to continue that throughout the entire season. They also state that they are going to sing the what we call the Negro National Anthem, but the song is Lift Every Voice and Sing along with the National Anthem. Okay, you all know how I feel about the alleged or so-called national anthem, Star Spangled Banner, whatever you want to call it. You know how I feel about that. We've done, we've talked about that several times on the show, and I even posted the entire song because a lot of people didn't know uh, up front that the the verse that is sung prior to beginning of sporting events or at the beginning of sporting events is only one verse. It's the first verse. There's four total verses to that song. So you can Google it, look it up, or you can scroll through the page, Sports Rap Radio Show on Facebook, and you'll find it list posted there, or you can find it, and you'll read and see that there are four verses to the song. So again, those questions that I had, which brought about part of my issues about that song, was one, who and why is that sung before sporting events? Who picked that? And secondly, why is that the only verse that is sung? Why wasn't another verse sung? Because, like I mentioned last week, and I used that word disrespectful when I talked about Mike Ditka, that it's disrespectful to people of color. So go find it, Google it. You can check it out and see what it is um, that I'm talking about and what I'm referring to. Also, the NCAA is going to allow players to wear patches for social injustice or with words of social injustice on their uniforms 
for the season. Um, they're probably going to do what they said, like they did in the NFL, I mean the NBA. Ah, Pusha T, what's going on? They are definitely going to try to control that narrative, as I like to say, and they're going to give them a list of things that they can use as or on their patches. Um, I don't like it in that sense. I think that they should be able to voice their opinions um, how they feel, as for AKA freedom of speech. But when you limit them, it kind of takes away from the power of the words, if you will, when you limit them to phrases that they can use and that they cannot use. So it says, for commemorative and memorial purposes, as well as to support social injustices. The NCAA will be allowing students, athletes, and all sports to wear patches on their uniforms. And it goes on to say that there will be some rules. Okay, here are some of the rules. The patch on the front, which most sports already allow, as authorized by the school or conference, may be a commemorative memorial patch. Names, mascots, nicknames, logos, and marks intended to celebrate or memorialize people, events, or other causes. The patch must not exceed two and a quarter square inches and must be placed on the uniform in a specific area to choose to wear. Okay? So again, they want to, they want to control the narrative. They're going to tell you, yeah, you can do it, but these are the only words or the phrases that you can use. Like I said, it takes a lot of power away from the words and from the message, if you will. Now, getting into my last topic of the day about the NCAA and them robbing black athletes of the opportunity to build generational wealth. This is part of the reason why they have the NIL bill, which has been passed by a couple states, but it's still in the work for it's still in the works for the entire NCAA. And what that NIL law or bill is, is a new law that will allow college athletes to earn money from their name, likeness, and their image, which I think is a long time coming. I think it should have been done a very long time ago because these players bring so much money into these institutions and they never see any of it and i understand they're getting a scholarship yeah fine and well they get the scholarship hey sabiba what's going on jackie bridges thanks for coming back i get that they get the free education but the problem becomes now the school is making money off of their name and their likeness so they sell jerseys as you know ncaa they has property rights and they sell these things on different websites, the school website, different stores and things of that nature. And that money goes partially to the NCAA overall and partially to the school of whatever uniform or jersey, whatever products they buy. The players who actually get out there and play on the field, on the court, whatever, see none of that. So now this bill is a great thing for them and I hope it gets passed overall um, all the way across the board for these players to earn from their name, image, and likeness, which, as I said, is a long time coming. Now, the NCAA's steadfast refusal to pay players is costing its largely black labor force an opportunity to create substantial generational wealth. 
Okay, this is uh, from a study from the National College Players Association, which is an advocacy, advocacy group for student athletes, which I think is definitely needed. And I think this uh, this research and this study was also definitely needed. Okay, it says from 2017 to 2020 alone, and they're just talking a small bracket, three years, okay, alone. $10 billion has been funneled to coaches and administrators when that money could be shared by football and men's basketball players. Of course, if you look at a lot of these college football teams, a lot of these college basketball teams, predominantly black. And again, these players see none of that money. Coaches in these leagues who are predominantly white see a lot of that money or most of that money. Okay. Um, the study also took use, used the NBA, NBA and NFL's collective bargaining agreements as a reference point. Okay, so they said if college football players received 47 percent of revenue disclosed by the NCAA, a four year player in a power five conference would make more than one million during his time in college. That could go a long way for them after their college years because we know everybody doesn't make the nfl or the nba okay you may have been good in college but you progress to the next level you just might not make it okay so you then you really have to consider being as we like to say an average joe okay you should be able to make some money off of what you did in college if you're there for the number of years that you're there um in men's basketball Players in the ACC, the Big 12, the Big 10, and the SEC could stand to make $2 million if they shared 50% of the revenue. Okay? If the athletes were able to invest even a $100,000 portion of that money, they could accrue over $1 million in retirement savings, the study says. So you know these guys have scholarships in that nature. Uh, all of them don't have scholarships. You talk about football, every player on that team, because there's so many players, don't have scholarships. Include basketball even has players who are not scholarship players. Okay? So here's the chance for them to make some money down the line to secure their future um, in their retirement uh, in the long run. Okay? Um, among the Division One schools, 79% of university athletic directors, white are white, in addition to 82% of football head coaches and 69% of men's head basketball head coaches. 49% of football players are black and 56% of men's basketball players are black. Okay. While these students are not compensated, the average salary of these power, comp, power five coaches, conference commissioners, and even some athletic directors are more than a million dollars each. Okay. College athletes, especially the black athletes, who are disproportionately represented in revenue, as we know, okay, that are generating the sports. They are a massive source of revenue for these college and media companies, yet are not allowed to share in the enormous value they create. Okay, that's a quote from Senator Cory Booker saying these injustices perpetuate long after students playing days are over in the form of student debt 
and potentially a lifetime of dealing with injuries. Absolutely. That means that it will be difficult for them to get health insurance, as you know, because of pre-existing injuries. We all know how insurance companies are very fickle about pre-existing injuries. Okay. Uh, the health and safety and education of college athletes needs to be a priority in any system that continues to profit off of their labor and talent. As this report quantifies in detail, this system is deeply unfair and unjust, and it needs to change. I absolutely agree with that. I have agreed with that for a long time coming when I have been one who has said for a long time that these athletes need to get paid. And I even went as far as to say, if they don't want to pay them, give them a stipend. Okay? Make it a set amount and give them a stipend for the time that they're there. Like Cory Booker just mentioned, and I just read it to you in the article, a lot of times we have health care issues once these guys and these women finish playing at the college that they attended. Okay? They are going to be in debt as well. Okay, like I said, every player is not a scholarship player, but a lot of those players still play. And then they get into that situation later on in life after college where, let's say, they don't make it to the pro level. And then they struggle with health care and everything else that's going on in real life after being a student athlete. OK, um, again, they mentioned the excuse me, the NIL law, which I just mentioned to you real briefly. And, you know, the NCAA wants to make them wait to sign endorsement deals until completing a semester of school, which I don't think is fair because they're losing money in that way. They could have a great first semester of the season and then they get injured. Then what? So now they can't make any money. Okay, if they're allowed to make money during that first semester, then they can have something in the back, you know, something in the bank that they can look forward to or something they can hold on to or do some things with to secure their future. Okay, Uh, California passed the NIL into legislation to make sure that their schools were not at disadvantage in recruiting college athletes. So California jumped the gun and passed the bill. Because they knew deep down inside that if they didn't, it could hurt their recruiting, which is another form of their profitization of these college athletes. Okay, so again, attempts to control the narrative, although that may seem as a good thing. But in my opinion, it's still an attempt to control the narrative where they're saying we're going to pass this bill. But we're doing it so that we can still recruit. We can still get some of the players that we want. Again, like I said, and I'm repeatedly going to say it, controlling the narrative. Okay. Uh, September the 15th is the deadline for the congressional group to create a rights package for these college athletes. So I don't think it should be hard. We're into August now. It's August the 3rd. So they've got until next month, the middle of next month, to come up with if you will, rights. I think these athletes have every right to earn money off of their name, likeness, and image. I think they have every right to sign with a company, a brand, and have endorsement deals 
to solidify or help solidify their future down the line. It makes no sense that these college athletes are put in through such a rigorous schedule, uh, you know, and don't get anything from it. Like I said, we can all, as average Jews and as fans, we all can go buy jerseys of our favorite college player. Uh, we can buy merchandise from our favorite college teams and things of that nature. And again, those proceeds go to the NCAA overall and to that institution where if it were for those african-american athletes the institutions wouldn't be bringing in so much money in those respective sports football and basketball being the most prominent too okay now the problem becomes the fact that it's taken so long and it seems like when they talk about they have till September the 15th to come up with rights for these athletes, I don't think that should be anywhere in the works. I think they should just be discussing them being able to and when they can start. And again, like I just mentioned briefly, you know, they want it to be after the first semester. Again, if this kid gets hurt in that first semester playing, and let's say it's a season-ending injury, Okay, now he doesn't have any opportunity to make that money, and it depends on the type of injury and how it plays out. Whether he can redshirt that year, and that means he can bypass that year due to injury and still have another year of eligibility um, after his remaining three years. So he would still get four years to play. But there needs to be some compensation for these players, and like I said, they bring in so much money too these institutions where it's a crying shame that they don't see any of it like i read in the article the coaches the athletic directors are well compensated okay well compensated predominantly white coaches and administrators they are well compensated but the institution isn't making any money off of them they're not the ones on the field playing the game risking injury okay they're not the ones being sought after by these companies for endorsements. Okay, They're not the ones being scouted and recruited for the next level of pro sports. Okay, So it's kind of a, not kind of, it's a slap in the face to these athletes, I believe, because they put so much effort into wanting to be the best that they can be, and then they don't get any compensation for it. Uh, it always brings me back to the Ben Simmons documentary, where, and I'm just paraphrasing, where he says that, you know, I walk around campus when he was at LSU, I walk around campus and I see tons of, of other students wearing jerseys, a basketball jersey with my name on the back that I play in, that I put my hard work and sweat in to play for this team, to play for this university, to represent this university. And all of that money goes to the university and to the NCAA. There's no way these athletes should not see any of that money. It's a total disgrace, I think. And it needs to be changed. And like I said, this NIL bill, I think, is a good thing. But it all depends on how it plays out. Again, they're going to control the narrative. They're going to save themselves in the whole thing. As I always say, 
the multi-billion dollar conglomerates are going to do what they do to profitize off of this. So they're going to get something either way. It's not going to be a complete issue or a complete turnaround for these athletes. The athletes are going to be able to do some things, uh, but the NCAA and these universities are still going to have their hand in the cookie jar. You can best believe that. They are definitely going to have their hands in the cookie jar. So we will definitely see how all of this plays out. And I hope I hope and pray that it really does make a change for these college athletes. Although we are in a pandemic and some of these college sports are still up in the air, or most of these college sports are up in the air, this is the perfect opportunity for these athletes. It's the perfect situation for these athletes, okay? Like I said, they need to make some money. I mean, some of us, anybody that's went to college, that's been in college, knows the college life, okay? The student athlete and the regular college student are totally different worlds, okay? When you're a regular student, you have a meal plan, you have a dorm, things of that nature, you have classes and whatnot. On the flip side of that, or on the other side of that, when you're an athlete, you have a strict program, okay? You're not going to make the cafeteria with the meal plan like every other normal or every other regular college college student is. You've got team meetings, you've got practices, and all of this other stuff, study hall. So by the time your day is done, so to speak, those cafeterias, those meal halls are closed, and you have to go to your apartment or to your respective basketball or football or athletic dorm and fend for yourself you don't have any income it's pretty hard to do that okay and we all know what goes on behind closed doors and all that nature that's a different story but these players need to be able to make some money off of their name their image and their likeness it's them that's doing the work so it's kind of like you're volunteering your services. It's an employer, so to speak. Antoine Terrell, thanks for tuning in. You're an employee, so to speak, but you're not getting paid. So it's like an internship, if you will, which I think is totally, totally disrespectful. Okay? I'm putting in all this work, and you're telling me that I can't make any money. It's my name. Okay, that's me, my person. is I am who that that name is. Okay, but you sell a jersey with my name on it, and I don't see a dime from that. Very crazy, very hard to believe, very disrespectful again. So there needs to definitely be a change there because the fans, student fans, and other fans and boosters are not coming to see the coach. They're not coming to see the athletic director. They're coming to see the guys and ladies that are on the floor or the field or whatever. Okay? So I think that there needs to be a major adjustment. And the NIL bill is a step in the right direction. But we still have to wait and see how it plays out once it gets finalized. Okay? It's a step, like I said, in the right direction. But we have to see how it plays out in the long run so again we are still enduring 
the systemic racism. I mean, you, you may not want to believe it, but it is still going on to this day. Hence the reason that we are still in this fight. And I think we will be in this fight for a long time. Okay. But it's helping now with the NBA, the WNBA, and these professional athletes who are using now beginning to use their platform a lot more to express their views and express their opinions and help in this fight. Because, like we say, the racism does not discriminate. It's not centralized to just the average Joe. It goes all the way across the board from the average Joe to the college athlete to professional athletes and whatever, actors, whatever. No discrimination. It, it goes all the way across the board. So we will definitely see what happens with that. And I will definitely give you information as I receive and I get information on that. Closing out today's show, I've got Monday NBA scheduled for you. And before I get into that, I know I didn't talk about it because I was a little disgusted. Sixers had their first of eight seeding games Saturday. They lost by six points to the Indiana Pacers, which could have helped them in the seeding, okay, uh, in the playoffs. And as you know, you might not know, they could have moved. They could possibly move up, but they can't fall any lower than six where they are right now. But that was an opportunity for them to move up. I did not enjoy that game entirely. Dana, thanks for tuning in. I definitely did not enjoy that game entirely. Uh, I have a number of reasons. Um, just real quick, when it started out, you as a coach and as a game plan, you go to Joel Embiid. He dominates, shows you that he wants to dominate. Six quick points, and then you tend to go away from it. Then you sub him out. You put out Horford in. And at that time, the starting center, Miles Turner, was already in foul trouble. It was a known fact that the Sixers were bigger. They had Jakar Sampson 6-7 playing against Joel Embiid. You went away from it. The, the Shake Milton experiment, you know, you have to understand now that stretch of 18 games that you had before the postponement of the season, you are now included in team scouting reports. Shake, you have to understand and recognize that. Brett Brown, coaching staff, you have to understand and recognize that. It might have been a good decision to just sit Shake down for the remainder of that game. He got into early foul trouble. It might have been a good decision to let him sit. But then you get into the rotations. You bring in Howell Neto. Okay, that's fine. But why not bring in Alec Burks, someone that can score from that position? Howell Neto will come in, and he did calm the team down a little bit. But you needed more scoring. You also have to understand as a coaching staff and as players, in your scouting report, T.J. Warren does damage to us anytime he plays us, every time he plays us. That has to be a focal point in your regimen in preparing for the game. Obviously, it wasn't. He got way too many open looks on his way to 53 points. So he basically beat the Sixers by himself. 
although Joel Embiid had a wonderful game, 41 points. Tobias Harris had 30-plus. Ben Simmons had about 20, which you expect from your stars. But that ideally should have been enough to beat the Pacers, who were short-manned. Okay? But apparently it wasn't enough because they lost. And some people may say, well, they only lost by six. But if you look at the box score, you look at Indiana's box score, T.J. Warren with 53. The next closest player had 15 points. At one point, he had half of the team's points. And no one seemed to pay attention to detail and understand that you had to get aggressive with him. Uh, There was an instance on the postgame show where they talked about the double team and how Brett Brown didn't really want to double team because he felt like the Pacers shot a lot of threes. When a guy is killing you like he was and you are available to double team to get the ball out of his hands, you have to do that and you have to live with those other threes. Apparently, they didn't make a lot of them because, like I said, the disparity in the points was 53 for one player. The next player had 15. So they might have shot a lot, but they didn't make a lot. So got to make some adjustments, and I hope tonight's game will be a lot different. Okay. There was also a brief talk about some things that looked like there was a, a little tiff between Joel Embiid and Shake Milton. In my opinion and my experience as a coach and a player, I have no issues with that. Um, and my, it's my belief, and I'm not 100% sure, but it's my belief that JoJo was basically telling him, look, th- this is what it is, okay? You need to shake it off, no pun intended, shake it off and get your ass in gear and get together and get on the same page with the rest of us so we can win this game. Also, I think Brett Brown's rotations were horrible that particular game. I'm saying it. They were horrible that particular game. So I hope he watched some film. I hope he got some feedback from his assistant coaches and things will look better coming up tonight. So tonight's Monday night NBA schedule. The Raptors are at the Heat at 1.30 p.m. on NBA TV. Then the Nuggets face the Thunder 4 p.m. on NBA TV. Pacers are at the Wizards also at 4 The Grizzlies are at the Pelicans at 6.30 p.m. on ESPN. The Sixers will play the Spurs tonight at 8. And the Lakers will go up against the Jazz. No Monday night game for the WNBA. They they will resume tomorrow with the Wings at the Sky. The Mercury face off against the Dream. And the Sun face off against the Storm. In the round robin tournament for the Hockey Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. The Rangers play the Hurricanes. The Jets are at the Flames. The Capitals face off against the Lightning. The Stars face off against the Golden Knights. And the Canadians do battle with the Pittsburgh Penguins. That is your show for today. I thank everyone that tuned in. Please review this video, if you will. Later on, it will be posted. Give me some feedback of what I said, what you felt like you didn't get a chance to comment on, or if you have comments later on down the line facebook the group page sports rap radio show you can also find me on instagram and twitter at sports rap underscore d and be safe as always be careful out there do your due diligence wear your mask as you're supposed to again we are still in a pandemic 
So it's no need to be dilly running around in the streets all willy nilly. Okay, it's no reason for that. People won't be satisfied until they personally get sick. Okay, don't wish that on anybody, but it's a reality right now. Uh, check in on your elderly. It's going to be another scorcher today. 97 degrees, they say. It's going to feel like 100 and something. So with that being said, it's your boy D signing out. I will see you next week live on air and all week on social media. You have been tuned in to Sports Rap, Heat 100 Radio. Enjoy your day, folks.